Hi, and welcome back to the Business of Healthcare podcast. I'm your host, Tara Humphrey. I run an award-winning healthcare consultancy specialising in supporting primary care networks. I'm a facilitator. I am a mum of three. I have an MBA and I would class myself as a bit of an adventurer. And I absolutely love all things business, all things leadership, all things management. So I created this podcast for clinical and non-clinical colleagues working in the field of health and care and for those of you looking to develop your leadership skills. Every week we release an episode which focuses on the hard and soft skills required to lead in this increasingly complex environment as we move to delivering more integrated care. So let's jump into this week's episode. Ankish, thank you so much for joining me today on the Business of Healthcare podcast. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. So usually when I meet people like for the very first time, it's going to sound a bit odd, like I think, oh, that was a nice conversation. And then I just kind of crack on with what I was doing. But after our initial conversation, I was like, oh my God, you've got to come on the podcast. You're so inspiring. (laughs) You've got to come on. That feeling was um, mutual. <laughs> oh, cool. And it was really nice, actually, because I think initially you had approached me to see what we could offer. And then after our conversation, I was like, you don't need my help. Like, you've got it sussed. You've got it sorted. So could you share with our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes. So my name's Ankish Patel. I'm a pharmacist. I'm from Manchester. So I was proud of the fact that I'm from Manchester, which is good. And I'm currently the head of PCN Workforce. I'm the chief pharmacist as well for a, a federation in Not- Nottingham City, where we help support eight PCNs with about 40-odd practices with a population of about 360,000 patients. And how long have you been in that role? Three years, I think, actually, because your, your job roles seem to evolve just as quickly as yeah. PCNs do at the moment. And what attracted you to that position initially? There's something to be said about putting yourself forward and and driving something and being in a position where people are looking towards you. So I think it, it evolved into the role. I decided on the title Head of PCN Workforce because there was a title that said Head of Arsehole Roles, and that does sound like something else. I was like, there's no way I'm being that. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I was like, Head of PCN Workforce. I say right place, right time, because that sometimes sounds like there's luck, but I don't, I don't believe in luck. I believe in you make your own luck and you create the opportunities. So it's just about being in the space, really being the right person and offering yourself two opportunities to make them happen. Would you be so kind to share a little bit about your home life? Yeah, so I'm married with two boys that are 14 and 11. So I I sort of studied in Birmingham and that's where I met my wife. Went back to Manchester for a couple of years, did some training and then then moved to Nottingham just back in 2002 or something like that. And uh, sort of settled down here really. So my spare time, it's interesting this actually, you always talk about spare time, so I'm I'm Mm. changing what my spare time is for to include me as well. But I coach my son's football team and and one of my boys' rugby team, because you have to balance these things out if you feel guilty otherwise. Um, So (laughs) those are my weekends full. I support Man City, which is good, because things can come good, because we were terrible for most of our life, so that's that's really good. And I just enjoy just pottering, doing bits and bobs, walking, spending time with friends, reading. I like playing board games, so I'm a proper board game geek when I get the opportunity, so I like doing that, and that's pretty much me. What sort of board games? So this has changed. I'm a chess geek, so I like playing chess. 
my sons just started getting really good. So, so I quite enjoyed playing chess with him. But things like Risk, Catan, like Monopoly, any anything, any I'll play any board game. So if you put anything from me, I'll play it. Are you competitive? I don't like losing. At least I don't know if that's competitive. <laughs> 100%. That. And if I lose, I have to keep playing. I've got to play again, <laughs> and, I'm, and I make people keep playing games that they don't want to play. And I think they must just let me win uh, so they can stop playing. So, yes, I think I am competitive. <laughs> I think that is a definition of competitive. Yeah. <laughs> I've not thought of it that way. I've just realised why the kids stop playing board games with me after a little bit of time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So the reason why I wanted to speak to you is because I think your approach to workforce development and professional development for your team is really quite refreshing. And probably what is, you know, like just what you do is nothing special to you. But I think people would be really interested to understand your approach to supporting your workforce. And just before we press record, we were like sharing kind of the, the highlights of our week. And you've managed to kind of do a little bit of kind of role redesign. And you have taken your PCN managers, and now they've got a new job title. What is your kind of philosophy to developing and enhancing your team at the moment? So I think it's in the principle of the ICS. I know people keep saying these things come round and we'll be back into a strategic health society and all this sort of stuff. So I do see there's a distinct change in the way that we want to do things. And people always talk about down up. They keep saying it. I'm yet to see people properly mean it. <laughs> but that is my principle. I think through my career, I've always um, I worked as a community pharmacist. My parents had a news agent, so I, I grew up in retail, just around people all the time. And what always bugged me a lot was head office people or people in an office somewhere telling people on the front line what to do without really fully understanding what I did. So that, to me, is really, really important to not replicate. And I, and I really believe in that principle of down up. So often when people ask me, what you know, when you introduce yourself, you know, what, what do you do? Well, I will say I support the PCN workforce. And people sometimes say, well, you do a lot more than that. But essentially, that's how I see it. My, my job is to help support the people that work with patients or are affecting patient care to improve things, to help them be better, but be better people and be better at doing their jobs. And that's by helping support them to get there, basically, trying to get rid of the barriers that they face to try and just to get done what's important to them and what they know is important to their patients. So that's the core principle. How many of your PCN workforce are there? Well, every day it changes. We're at 130, soon to be 140 probably, but within the next few weeks. And do you have a workforce team or is it just you? Well, it was just me at the beginning, like with all these things they've grown from nowhere and that was incredibly stressful. <laughs> it grew from pharmacy and then moved to include social prescribing and, and other aspects. But now I, I have a team and we've, we've had some structural changes. So we have a team of managers that work within the networks and we're currently going through a, a sort of redesign of their roles at the moment. So that's the core team, the operational delivery team. And those managers are responsible and accountable to the patients and the clinical directors. So it's my job to help just support them. And, and, and the way we support is through sharing, collaborating, and making sure we um, create like the conditions for change. Someone shared a slide with me or this little thing to read the other day. I can't remember who the person was. And, I, and there was a slide that said conditions for change. And I thought that's what I feel like we should be doing. So we've got that structure of these network managers. And then within these networks, we then got loads of different staff, you know, that they're 
sort of building this operational sort of team within their PCNs. And we're creating management roles within those roles. So that's the PCN structures that I support. And then what's absolutely pivotal to our structure is that we have lead roles. We have a lead pharmacist, we have a lead technician, a lead health and wellbeing coach. Well, we're about to have a lead health and wellbeing coach. We've just appointed a lead social prescriber, lead physician associate, and they work with me. Some of them are still clinically like patient-facing, but they have a certain proportion of their time where they just work across the system. And it's their job in the same way to facilitate all that, all those aspects really of building relationships, building the quality, the staff development, and making sure you know that, that there's income coming in so it allows us to be able to do things differently. So where you say you support your workforce and you want to understand what's important to them, is what is important to them the same as what's important to the network and the practices? Not always, but essentially we want the best for our patients. You know, people work in healthcare because they want to help people. You're always going to get things that are slightly different to that, but generally that's that's the same purpose, but there's just different ways of wanting to do it. The freedom of working in a federation and employing the staff allows me to sort of tread the line a little bit. We don't have to fully align because we employ the staff I and mean, it allows us to be able to do things slightly differently. And the reason we can carry on doing things differently is because we've got really high rates of retention. We've got good rates of staff satisfaction. We're developing new roles. So on the whole, the practices are have worked with us or I'd almost say tolerated <laughs> for the early stages. They've tolerated the way that we've done things because they didn't want to do it. And we're sort of in a position where we were doing it and who else would do it if we didn't do it and sort of taking advantage of that to a certain degree to try and do things differently. What did the behaviour look like from the practices moving from tolerating you guys or tolerating what was happening to being on board and actively engaging with what's happening? It's been a really difficult journey, I would say. I think I've learned a lot over that time. So I think at the beginning, there was just confusion. There was like, what is this? You know, how is it working, etc. And in that confusion, you can allow things to flow because no one fully understands what's what's needed. And then as people have started to realise what the roles can do and we've increased the numbers, it's allowed more of a critical mass. Initially, there was a lot of dissatisfaction. My, the original pharmacist that started, and I was a PCM pharmacist to begin with, and there was only a few of us, and, and some of those pharmacists were covering eight sites on their own. And the practices were like, we never see them. Well, you're not going to see them because they cover eight sites. Yeah. You know? uh, we, we don't see any impact. But now we've got a pharmacy workforce of 52 people, including tax and we're due to expand. So people want more of what they've got. And I think now that we're beginning to be able to evidence the impact of what we're doing and our clinicians are seeing what we do in the debriefs and starting to see us present back into MDT meetings or provide some input from the QI or the IIF, they're starting to see change and they're starting to see how we make a difference. And that takes time, I think. We have away days for the workforces and, and that's something that irritates. I think it irritates some of the practices that we take our staff out for a day, you know. And I remember a really sort of senior sort of GP in the system, so Alistair, who'd come to speak to them. He just reminded everyone in the room, I think we were halfway, it was about, it was about two years ago or a year ago. So, and he just went, I just want to remind you that you're right at the beginning of the change curve, the general practice and the changes you make now and what you're doing. You are the pioneers of everything that is happening mm -hmm. right now with regards to pharmacy and medicines. And you'll revolutionise primary care. And when you look back in 10 years, how it looked before won't be recognisable. And it's, it's understanding that in that context, really, and being able to make sure that we can't be measured on success in the short term, because that's exactly why we're in a mess in the first place. So it's just trying to make sure that is understood, really, and that we understand that together. 
feels like a bit of a ramble, that answer. <laughs> I love it. It makes complete yeah. sense yeah. to me. And my question then is, I 100% understand and agree with that your practice are the pioneers, but also your workforce, your, you know, pharmacist one, pharmacist two, pharmacist three, they are also the pioneers. Oh, yeah, How- sorry. Yeah, sorry, Alistair was talking to the workforce. So he was telling oh, the pharmacists, okay. like, yeah, 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 you're the pioneers. But sorry, go that's fine but still it's I suppose there isn't an answer to this it is really really difficult and I know lots of people in within PCN teams if you're like the first social prescriber and practices just don't understand they don't get it and I can say hang in there you know like you're doing an amazing job you are the leader the next social prescriber link worker will come in and go this is easy and they'll say that because of you because you have laid the groundwork and you've created the standing operating procedures employee one or your first few employees need a tremendous amount of support but also they don't know what support that they need if that makes sense because it's uncharted territory sometimes they just need a listening ear they need you know like somebody of influence to advocate for them they need permission to say no they need permission to take a break it's very hard on innovators doing something brand new and i think that's why you've got to empower your workforce to make the change you know that bit around condition, creating the conditions for change. You've got to create the space to give people the authority to want to make a difference and, and try and make the change themselves. Because if you, if it relies too heavily on individuals, then things fall apart, don't they? And I think all it takes is one person to leave, and we're all dispensable. You know, I, I yeah. work on that principle that you may have to leave tomorrow. You know, everything everything goes on. Those were the, some of the sort of founding sort of principles. So I think when I look at the way that we started working initially, it was my main focus was a pharmacist. I've been on lots of different training over the years, but there was, there's two aspects of training that I went on that really made a big difference. One was the Mary Seacole program. I went on to that training when I was in community pharmacy because it was available. I just went, I went on it. I tend to try, I, I go on things, you know, and it made no, it didn't make any impact on my day to day when I worked in community pharmacy. But as soon as I landed in primary care in the NHS, everything started clicking that I'd learned from that training. Uh, and then the second bit of training I did was action learning sets with the NHS Leadership Academy, which is like two years of coaching critical thinking and critical questioning of each other. And I think the combination of those two things really made me think hard around how do we help people to find their own solutions from each other and from the problems that we all encounter. And it's that sharing and collaboration, really. So very early on, our pharmacist model still exists. And we're lucky that we've got eight networks. And and we set it up in this way that we have five pharmacists in each supervision group. They meet for four hours every month. None of those pharmacists work together. And they, rather than having a manager in the supervision group, because we know our GPs do great debrief, we've got a coach style sort of mentor pharmacist in that space that also doesn't work in any of their networks. And that whole space is around looking after their own well-being, communication, education, collaboration, sharing good practice. They own the space and we help them sort of define it really in that way. And we've tried to replicate that across the other roles as well. So we do that for the health and well-being coaches. We do that for our physician associates to slightly different models, but we make sure that we've got protected time and space to allow that resilience and that sort of environment for people to share ideas and really sort of push people each you know you're pushed on by your peers makes sense in your federation does it feel like them and us or does it feel like one big team so where the federation you know employs staff and that you've got a really strong support network and if you're having an away day you say right tara it's away day you know you're not having Mm. that session 
does it feel now you're a few years a few years down the line that you're just one team or does it feel the federation said x and the reason i'm saying that's because i've got networks where even though we've got a good relationship it does still feel very them and us it depends on the practice so it depends okay. on the individuals that work there but there is a definite them and us culture and it's understandable we've created a two-tier system so i have staff going on different bands of pay got different terms and conditions. We provide mindfulness sessions for our social prescribers to learn about mindfulness and then look after themselves. We have this group supervision where they can go for a walk. It's, it's not fair, is it? So the, the, there's always going to be elements of the them and us. I think what we're starting to see change is because of the critical mass and the numbers is that a lot of these staff are now really embedded into the practices because they're there more than they used to be. And I think it's just, it's natural, isn't it? That if you're the first year, if you're only there a day a week and year three, you're there four days a week, which Christmas do you get invited to would have been quite an interesting analysis in year one of the PCN does and then yeah. and then looking at it in year four. So just, just naturally, the integration is just happening. And when I say it matters on the individual, the people you employ and their ability to be able to integrate, you can't disregard that as a massive skill that you you must have before you go into a PCN role because if you're not able to integrate and appreciate how split things can be and you can't do anything around that then I don't think you should be in the role (laughs) I'm being really stern and our interview question is the same for all of the roles so it is a poster presentation for the roles uh, challenges and opportunities for a PCN pharmacist technician or whatever it is and talk to us about them and every one of them mentioned in their interview integrating into the team and then they raise it as an opportunity. And, and we use that as a great reflective tool. So in those supervision spaces, we have gone back to people to go, why don't you bring your interview poster back into the supervision space six months later? What were you hoping to achieve, you know, or 12 months later? What did you set out? What did you see as the problems? And what did you see as the opportunities and challenges? And what does that look like to you now? And I think it's a long way around to get back to that question about them and us, but it's, yeah. it's all about that integration. And it's got to be led by us. It's not going to be led by the practices. How have you been able to grow such a big workforce? So I'm guessing because it does sound like you provide a very supportive environment and you have got the benefit of, you know, like that critical mass, they tell their friends. But what else do you do? So the friends things, definitely. So we're getting lots of applications, especially with pharmacy, where people are recommending people to come and work for us. So that's important. I suppose the recruitment and the workforce is driven by the requests from the PCNs and the practices. Because ultimately, if they don't choose to employ through us, and they don't have to, you can't expand the workforce. So it's all very much based on the service you offer, those practices, and, and, and bringing in the right people. They have to have confidence in your ability to bring in the right, the correct people. And, and we've got it wrong, and we've got it right. You know, it's, it's, it's one of those things, really. But on the whole, we always aim to add value all the time. We want to continue to add value and involve the networks in the recruitment as much as possible. So early on, we just found people and gave them to them. And yeah. as, as we've moved on and we know people are going to be within certain practices, certain spaces, it's just around having different people in, in, in those environments, really. One of the things I'd like to do with this podcast moving forwards is, you know, like to normalise getting it wrong. And I think workforce, you know, like recruitment can be really really tough and I think that as a business owner because it's my money it makes it a little bit easier to be like do I want to pay you (laughs) my money if I don't think you're up for the job or I've made a mistake in the NHS they're not as quick to make the decisions around I think this person isn't going to be successful or they're not going to be successful in this environment when you say sometimes we've got it wrong could you share an example of how you've got it wrong and what you did to rectify that situation. 
So back in 2000, I don't know what it was, maybe about two years ago, as a federation, we offered a citywide social prescribing service. So all eight networks were involved. We had the staff. It was all central referral. And it wasn't quite working out because all of our networks are different. And we saw a splintering of the social prescribing service as a result. So one of our networks decided to use another provider. Another one decided to employ them themselves because they're a massive university practice. And that's when I came on board. It was like, can you help out with this? And we took over the social prescribing service and tried to have a look at what's not right. And, and that's when you've got to sort of question if the perception is people can't do the job. Have we done everything we can do to make sure they can do the job? Are we listening to what the problems are? And I think that's the most important thing. It comes back to that thing right at the beginning that we spoke about, about down up. What do people need to get the job done? Like what barriers are they having to face to deliver the basic things day to day? At that beginning, I took over 12 people and explained what we're going to do. And the first thing we said was what we want to do is make sure our services are specific to our PCNs and accountable to our practices and receptive to the needs of our patients. You know, PCNs were designed to work at a neighbourhood level. So why have we done a citywide service? For the last 18 months, really, we has all been focused around making it a PCN-specific service. And it was being really clear with those individuals at the time. I remember sitting in the room going, this is what I can hear you're saying to me. This is what we need to do. And this is where we're heading. And I made it really, really clear after listening to them, you know, what the plan was and asked them to input. And, and at that point, it was like, either this is for you or it's not, but you're going to need to make a decision now whether you want to work with the change or you want to leave. I think I lost a quarter of my workforce in that moment where three of the, the 12 left, essentially. But now we're at 32 people. So I'm not sure if I quite answered the question there, but it's, it's around, without getting into very individuals and situations, it's all around the support and making sure people aren't isolated, making sure they've got peer networks, resilience, education. We need to make sure the relationships are there and we foster them. And we have to give people development opportunities. So we have a big focus on what's next. So we've just taken a social prescribing lead on not so long ago. First thing I said to him is, what's the career path for a social prescriber? What can we offer people to give them? You'd want to look forward to having a career. And how do we make a career out of these PCN roles? And I think that's really, really important around making sure that we retain people and, and we can keep them in place. Sometimes people underperform. And I think that's where that other pillar of like quality is. And once we've made sure that we've done everything we can do, you have to question the integrity of individuals. And, and the only way you can do that is by audit. I think you, you have to have measures that are both quantitative and qualitative. And we have to make sure that people's work is transparent. And the way that we measure that quality is embedded in the way that they work. So it's not additional reporting. And when you can have that sort of level of transparency around what people are doing, how much of it they're doing and the quality around it, et cetera, that's when you can start making sure that people are delivering to the level that they should be. And that's when you can find people that maybe are not doing it to the level that should. And then you have to sort of make sure that we support them and deal with those individuals in the most appropriate way. I think yeah. just from my perspective, for anybody listening, you know, when people say, if you make a mistake once, that's fine. But if you make it twice, shame on you, you know, like you're a fool. And I would say I have made, when it comes to recruiting, the same mistake multiple times. I think that I've learned. And that yep. mistake is I've hired too quickly. And I see primary care networks do it all the time like they're desperate. When can you start is the question. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that comes out the offer, though, doesn't it? I think you've got to question why people are applying for a role. And I've been through that same process, but we don't rush into employment. So we do turn down a number of pharmacists at interview stage. We have a clinical case study, a presentation, and we and we have a scenario-based question. 
And the, the interview can take just over an hour. We've red flagged people at that clinical case study. We, we will re-interview people. We give people really robust feedback, but we won't employ them at that stage and we let them know why. So you mentioned creating the conditions for change. You have touched upon them, but would you be able to share a few like concrete, like what needs to be in place? What have you put in place to create some really good, solid conditions for change? It's really around the supervision space and making sure people have a voice and it's heard. Initially, I was part of the supervision groups and as the roles changed, I've had to move further and further away from them. But we've made sure that we've embedded the structures around the supervision to ensure that people can be heard. We train our mentors that I mentioned earlier that we've helped sort of train them and support them in creating the contracting for their mentor groups and supervision groups. So they set up their own rules. They understand the basic principles within the contracting so they know when things have to be escalated, if there's safeguarding concerns or concerns for the individual. But they're creating the conditions within those spaces. And whenever we have the away days or we've got development days, we make sure that principle of listening is there all the way through. We're into the third year now, and, and Sarah that I work with, Bartra, she, she works for NAF, which is the Relights Training Hubs, which are, I know there's training hubs all over the country, and she's doing a PG search. So she's really strong on capturing the feedback of the workforce. We make sure that the mentors receive 360-style feedback from their mentees and vice versa, and we make sure we capture the feedback from our workforce directly through the online questionnaire thing, but also through the mentors. There's time within those supervision groups where collectively they decide on whether they want something escalating up to the federation. You know, do we need to escalate this? Is this a problem? And the mentors then carry that message across. And equally, we use those groups to help communicate things in a slightly more intimate way, you know, in a group of one to five. So things aren't a surprise when they happen. It's that clear communication is really, really important. And we're really open to ideas and suggestions. So if people have got ideas and suggestions, we will help support them. And Especially with pharmacists, sometimes I think they're waiting for their next opportunity. And okay. on our last away day, we put a panel of four people up and we've got some fantastic pharmacists that are really pushing the boundaries of what they're doing. And we put them on a panel at the front and they did a Q&A and they spoke about their careers so far, what they'd done and how they'd got there. And everything was driven by them. And I think that it's, it's important to, to make sure the workforce understand that. If you want to grab an opportunity and there's the, there's the logic behind it, the reasoning behind it, and, and you're willing to put a bit of work in, we'll support you to get there. But we're not going to lead you to it. And that's what I mean around creating the space to allow people to grow. What are you doing to support your own professional development at the moment? So, <laughs> first of all, I've got a team of leads, yeah. which we've just sort of put together. So they're allowing me to free up my own time. I've just gone back to doing a two-hour clinic every week. <laughs> as part of the extended access to try and keep my pharmacy knowledge up to date. That's been quite challenging. I'm about to go on the King's Fund Top Managers Programme, which my boss sort of said, you know, everyone likes doing that because it's good for their CV. And I, I was like, yeah, I've not thought about that. Obviously, everyone gets a bit, the King's Fund is like, oh, yes, wow, amazing. You know, it's all this and that. And I was definitely brainwashed a little bit about the, by the marketing. But it, I, I see it as a massive <laughs> extension <laughs> of the action learning set stuff I did. It's all around self-reflective practice but that's my development this year I'm, I'm going to be on the top managers program with the king's fund so i'm really looking forward to that excellent i just want to say to our listeners when people come on the podcast they have no idea what i'm going to ask them 
And I, I did think, I bet you, I was like, we you come on the podcast? You're like, yeah. And literally that was it. And then I've just launched into these questions and I just, <laughs> and our cameras aren't on. So I can't even see your reaction, but I just wanted to say, I really appreciate it. And I think this is why I wanted you on because you probably live, eat and breathe it. Mm. these questions just roll off your tongue I'm sure that you might be thinking oh my god I wasn't <laughs> expecting this but I just I want to acknowledge that maybe the questions may have felt tricky and you didn't get any heads up but when I first met you I thought you know that what attracted me was in my warp of life and we do share the same we're both in primary care networks a big reason why people leave their role is because of the lack of support and supervision yeah they may not use those words, but that's what it boils down to. It boils down to they were probably hired into the wrong role. When they got there, there wasn't the support or, you know, like they were promised something. So you talk about, you know, being very honest about the progression of the role. Yes. So sometimes because you're desperate and the person is good, you know, like you do make promises. But in a yep. primary care network, it's not just one person's decision. Everything is made by committee. I may think absolutely I'll support you to do X, Y and Z in reality you know, that's not been kind of signed off and things ebb and flow and change. So they kind of promise one thing and they get into the role and then it's the reality feels very different or they're spread across multiple practices. And I think this equity, trying to chop one person across eight practices in the beginning, yeah. I think most people did that. And now you look back and think, why, why, what was I thinking? Because <laughs> you kind of forget about the person actually doing the role. Yeah, and we, we've kept near the back. I've had one person who, from the beginning who was running their own pharmacy as well but but we've kept all those original people through this supervision model and they all quote this model of supervision and support as one of the reasons why they're still here especially through covid i left my clinical role because i didn't want patients to pick up the phone anymore it used to ring to four five six and i was just praying that they wouldn't pick up the phone because i didn't want to talk to them and i think as much as i went to go and support social prescribing social prescribing sort of saved me. I just really didn't want to phone anyone anymore or speak to people. And I know how strongly that sentiment was probably felt by a lot of others who didn't have the options that I had. So it's really important how we look after our staff and hear the struggles that I might be going through. And what would your message be to, because I think anybody that doesn't have that level of support will be thinking, that's all right for you. It's, it's easy for you. We're different it's harder. I just don't have the time. I've not seen, you know, I'm not seeing my family. People are really stressed. They really genuinely feel like they don't have the time. What would be your message to those people? You don't even have to be in a primary care network. You know, like you if you are a manager leader that have got a workforce and that person is struggling to make the time or listening to this podcast thinking there's no way I could put in that level of support, what would your message be? I see it as a huge responsibility. I mean, as a pharmacist, it's my job to make sure that my profession thrives with this opportunity. And I, I think if you've got leaders out there who are isolated, then you need to build your network and you have to build your resilience. And you need to find time to be able to work out your strategy and work out how you're going to create time. And you've got to lead by example. If you send emails at 10 p.m. and they land in people's mailboxes, if you work on Saturday morning and are pinging off and you're doing this and that and you're behaving in a certain way you are setting you're setting the standard that people are looking at and validating that way of working and that's not okay and if i give you an example like yesterday i've got a new lead pharmacist so she's been with me over 18 months she sent me a whatsapp message just just said are you on the five o'clock bus 
because she's made it her mission to make sure I go home on this five o'clock bus so I'm not at work anymore. And I saw this WhatsApp message and I sent a message back when Sarah, I left at three because I need to get home for my family. And I think you've got to create the culture because you can't do it on your own. It has to be inherent and, and you have to be able to lead by example and create the conditions for people to be able to work in that sort of space and be able to it improves productivity in the long run. I've given yeah. you two really long answers for everything. No, I, say, I think you've got to look after the welfare staff beyond anything else. Or what you're going to find is just going to have reoccurring people leaving, retraining. And, and that happens anyway, but your turnover is going to be so much worse. That sounds really like business focused. And, and, <laughs> and, the, and, and the other bit for me is like, you've got to treat people how you want to be treated, how you want your family to be treated. How would you always try and sort of picture things in that way? You know, like how do you want, your workplace to look like how do you want it to feel and, and you've got to take some responsibility for that and kish thank you f- so much i really really do appreciate your time Bob, yeah thanks for asking me on I've, I've really enjoyed it yeah you definitely did not prep me for any of those questions <laughs> so <laughs> you're a pro you're a pro thank you so much yes take care so much for joining us if you like what you hear i would absolutely love it if you left us an itunes rating and five star review i know many of you give us a shout out on social media which is lovely to see you guys listening to the podcast so please come and find us on twitter at thc primary care on instagram and on linkedin just look for tara humphrey and if you're not subscribed to our newsletter please do you get to hear more insights more confessions some tips and tools and a roundup of our activity over the week. So click on join the newsletter in the show notes and I will see you in the next episode.